everyone this is sonali mangal and welcome to another episode of learn educate discover on this podcast we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about the goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes how do they go about exploring it further now on today's episode we are going to be talking about what it's like to transition from being a product manager in tech to then being the founder of your own company our speaker on today's episode is israel shalom israel is a product leader he has extensive experience having worked as a product manager at Google for more than 5 years he was a product manager in Google Cloud followed by being the product lead on Google One and then he was also a group product manager at Dropbox most recently Israel has now started his own company and that's the experience he uses to then describe what was that transition like for him moving from being a product manager to a founder And I think this is a really interesting discussion for anyone who is either interested in becoming a product manager or is already a product manager just to understand what are the kind of skills you develop on the job what skills are transferable to then starting your own company and what are some skills that you then have to pick up as you start running your own company and see how the day to day is different so I hope you'll enjoy this discussion I also want to call out that Israel's startup is hiring. Uh they're actively hiring people. So if you're interested in learning more about the roles, what kind of people they're looking for, you can reach out to them at iz@goodones.app. That's iz@goodones.app and I'll share the email in the show notes also. One other housekeeping note If you are interested in product management, we have put together some resources to help you prepare for PM interviews, things like question banks to help you practice for behavioral questions as well as product design questions, and also an interview guide to just guide you in terms of how to structure your preparation for PM interviews. So, if you're interested, you can check out the resources. I will link to the resources in the show notes also. All right? With that let's now head over to the discussion with Israel. Israel, hello, welcome to the show. Uh, hello, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for taking the time. So, uh, you know, we'll just dive right into it as you know that we are going to be talking about how working as a product manager in tech can help you. on your entrepreneurial journey. So, I wanted to start us up with just a little bit about your background and what got you interested in product management. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and you've been a PM for what over 13 years, like it's a long time and you were even a PM in the army if I if I read your profile <laughs> correctly. Yeah, um it's a PM in the military. We didn't we certainly didn't call it that. Uh, my background is actually in engineering. I did it uh, a masters There was a time in my past where I thought I would be a PhD and pretty quickly realized that's not for me. Uh but I loved engineering and I uh quickly when I was in the military moved to leadership there 
like, you know, people call it eng manager here. There we just call it commander. But at the time, it was also, it was both engineering management and product management. So kind of a mix of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I was pulled to the product management direction was I realized I have really the smartest engineer. I was lucky enough to have the smartest engineers around me. Uh, and more often than not, I realized we're actually not building the right things to solve the right problems. So that was always painful for me. So I got more and more fascinated by that and always leaned into talking to customers to create value. Uh, and when I arrived to Google, I realized there's a whole role for this called product manager. So I decided to officially take that on after a couple of uh, engineering and leadership roles. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and then, so you were at Google for how long then? Um, eight years at Google. Eight years, eight yeah. Eight years at Google. Yeah, and then you were also a GPM at Dropbox for a while. Yes, right? yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> And then uh, that, that okay. was that, that was you know after I left Google officially. Correct. And then more recently, now you have left Dropbox and you're working on your own thing. Can you share it a little bit to the extent you can? Yeah. So we're still in stealth mode, and unfortunately, can't share too much. But what I can say is, it's a B two C product. It's a SaaS product. It's solving a pain point that a lot of your listeners and a lot of people in the world are feeling uh, and we're really excited about it. So if anybody wants to work on something really cool, they should shoot me a note. Uh, oh yeah. Can you give us your um, email where people yeah, can reach it's, out? It's, it's, it's is, it's iz at dot app. So good ones as in the ones that are good dot at. Gotcha. Yeah. And we'll also include the email in the show notes. So yeah, but thank you so much for that uh, intro. So, I mean, clearly you've been a product manager in big tech for a long time. You've done this in the military, which I'm sure was a very different experience. You've done this at Google and then more recently at Dropbox. And now you're working on your own thing. So first question for you, how and why did you decide to quit and start your own company? Yeah, it's a good question. I ask myself that <laughs> uh, quite often. I think deep down, I always knew it was going to happen at some point. I wanted to build a whole company culture and see what a scrappy startup feels like. And I thought, what better way to do it than as a founder to really be um, the very first person coming into the company. That's interesting. So your the impetus was more about you wanted to create a certain way of of working and a certain culture of working on things. And that, that was the biggest driver. Yeah, it seemed like the ultimate challenge. Can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of culture you're creating? Yeah, we're trying to create a culture that is fun and getting shit done. Uh, we're just trying to be pretty scrappy all the way uh, while at the same time um, creating a really awesome product and really caring about the craft and uh, just a really great environment for everybody to bring their best selves. I think a lot of companies are trying to do the same, but I think we're going to have our own unique take towards it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did having worked as a product manager, did this help you in your transition to now being founder and CEO? Absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to officially switch to PM. Um, the biggest thing I would say was 
the difference between engineering and PM was that progress was not linear. When you're an engineer, more often than not, you're making progress towards something at any given day. You may be submitting some code, you may be fixing a bug, you may be providing a design doc, what have you. And every day, the world is a little bit better than yesterday. It's pretty linear. Uh, but as as you know, when you're a PM, there's just so many outside factors you don't control. So, you know, the team that you're dependent on might not deliver, an engineer you're counting on might quit, or just the users might not react to your product in a way that you think they will. Mm -hmm. So all these external factors, you're still ultimately on the hook for it. You're still where the buck, the buck stops. So, uh, you know, one day you might make a you might make huge progress, and another day you might actually go back. So that's a big change, and it's uh, how work happens on any given day. It's very, very different, and you have to manage your psychology for that and be okay with those type of things and learn how to leverage the good aspects of it. Mm -hmm. And as a founder, the same things happen, just only 10x. You're not only on the hook for your project's outcomes, but you're only you're also on the hook for uh, the financial well-being of your shareholders, your employees, everybody you're working with. So it's uh, being okay with uh, being the person that the buck stops with. Yeah, exactly. So so let's double click on this a little bit. If I were to ask you that as a product manager, what are the top five skills uh, that you pick up on the job? What would you say they are? Uh, uh, let's start one by one and see, see how far we get. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so... You know, and I'll also talk specifically about myself as an engineer who's coming into product manager, a marketing person who comes into product management, they might pick up different skills. So for me, coming into it, I had a strong technical foundation. So I knew what work what didn't. I had, you know, I managed teams before, so I had reasonable management skills. But the things that were new to me in PM, when I think about that, First of all, the first thing that comes is uh, is user empathy, which is like the first thing mm -hmm. I look for when I interview product managers also. Essentially, as PM, your job is literally to advocate for the user. So you really, really need to be able to understand their psyche and go in and really think deeply about how a user might feel when they when they have, when they have the intention to use the product, when they have a certain need, uh, when they are actually using the product, um, as an example, there, you know, you're 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 just exposed to user research. You end up spending two to three days listening to your users, and you really get a good sense of how uh, different people have different needs. Yeah. So that would be one. Um, the second thing that is really important, really key thing for uh, for product managers is to just nail down your communication. Hmm. Very often you're presenting stuff to leadership, to your counterparts in different teams, and to actually your own team. You really need to nail the art of making everything as simple as they should be, but no simpler. Uh, you really need to just kind of craft the narrative of your if your product, you know, the and then the equivalent for CEOs for your entire company. You need to be able to tell a great. 15 second story, mm. a minute long story, or a five minute long story, or an hour long story about your product and in the founding phase, your company. Um, 
The third one, especially important in bigger companies like uh, Google and Dropbox, is influence without authority. Mm. So as a product manager, uh, you know, certainly as an individual contributor product manager, you're not really in charge of anyone. You're, you're nobody's boss. Mm. The engineers uh, can do, like, they decide, the engineering team themselves decide what to work on. I mean, you, yeah, of course, influencing that, but they are ultimately uh, responsible for choosing what they work on day to day and how, how much you're able to get done. And not just from your own team, but also from partner teams. You might be dependent on a partner team and you have zero authority over them. Um, but you have no, none of the authority, but all of the accountability. You're ultimately accountable for the outcomes. Like if you're not launching a product, you're not getting promoted, no matter how big and beautiful is the PRD that you wrote. Um, so it really takes uh, a keen ability to understand everyone's motivation and interest. Uh, really paint a great vision and over time apply these small nudges to get where you need to get. Um, to give you an example, um, for especially for engineers, you really can't be in the weeds with the design doc, or do it this way, do it that way, organize mm -hmm. it that way. That's not the job of a product manager. A program manager might do that in some companies. Uh, a tech lead might do that in others. An engineering manager can do it in others. But as a product manager, what you're, you know, the best way to get things to scale yourself is, is paint a really vivid picture of what you're trying to get to right. and make sure that the engineering team and, you know, the whole product team is uh, intrinsically motivated to do it. And they will find the how mm. once you've kind of decided on the what together. Mm. Um, that's, that's like three. Yeah. Uh, other two. Uh, let's see. I just wanted to make sure uh, that I'm giving you enough time. Come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but these these are really great, and clearly it sounds like you know these three skills are very transferable to you then running your own company, especially in the early stage where where you're trying to identify what product should you be building, what are your customer needs, and then you have to convince your you know employees to join you. You have to convince investors to invest in your company so those communication skills could be so 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 helpful uh, so like a follow-up question for you on this do you think that working as a product manager in big tech teaches you you know even though you're picking up these skills do you think it teaches you doing these practicing these skills in certain ways which perhaps you know you have to unlearn when you get when you transition to a startup and what I mean by that is, and this could be completely wrong. So this is where I'd love to hear your thoughts. But, you know, it's like you, you get used to perhaps presenting things in a certain way or perhaps uh, like I know an example I heard is that, you know, as a PM in a large company, you are expected to delegate a lot and lean on other people. I think you may have mentioned this. Where, yeah. 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 So t tell us a little bit about that. That you know, even within these skills, perhaps there are some nuances that that are potentially different. For sure. For sure. So, like the first thing I would I would say to all listeners is, nothing really prepares you for starting a company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as much as you try, nothing is going to prepare you for all the uh, the turmoil and the roller coaster that is building a company. Uh, so you know, 
there are some certainly some helpful skills you know kind of like if you're if you're an aunt and you're spend some time with, with kiddos then yeah it'll help you in parenting mm-hmm. but you'll only get what it is when you're actually parenting <laughs> so it's a i wouldn't uh you want to be a founder it's a great analogy it's becoming one uh, so that's all just kind of like as a blanket statement um and then the skills that I mentioned, they're definitely useful in starting the company, but they're also for sure some anti-patterning. So, uh, let me, let me start w- with the like anti-patterning as an example of a thing that is very useful in a big company, but not uh, useful in a small company. So, uh, I forget who was it who said that micromanaging is an underrated skill. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as a product manager in a big company, what you need to be doing is create leverage and rely on your peers. If you, your engineering counterpart, uh, like you need to be really relying on your engineering and design counterparts and different peer teams and not do their work for them and, uh, really have that soft influence and let them what they do and try to build the absolute best relationships with all of them. And in fact, in a big company, often the relationship becomes more important than getting stuff done in the short term, which is funny because, you know, you would say, hey, we're in a company to get stuff done. Uh, But it's true. The relationship is more uh, is more important. Like, number one is because it allows you to get things done in the long term. Like Mm -hmm. if you are working with a designer or with an engineer and you can be on their case you know, ruin the relationship, but launch a great <laughs> V1 within the next two, three weeks or, or two, three months. But then they don't want to work with you again. Then it's yeah. a net loss for the company. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and not, not to mention that you're going to get dinged in performance management cycles. Mm. So uh, you're not going to want to do that. So you, uh, the relationship management and the delegation and this, um, Influence without authority is really key, but when it comes to your startup, then some of those skills are not useful. So if you're a, if you're your founder and the engineering team isn't doing something the way that you think it should be done, mm-hmm. especially early in the game, you really need to be uh, on top of what is happening there and either convince yourself that what they're doing is fine or uh, like find a way to make sure it gets done the way you think it should, because you yeah. are ultimately accountable and the time horizons you're working with are smaller. There yeah. isn't, there isn't a six months to live out. Uh, and there, there isn't a long term if you don't fix stuff in the short yeah. term. So yeah, your company's going to be dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a really, really good point. And you're right that, you know, when you're working, especially in a large tech company, you are operating with what at much longer time horizons and so those relationships become much more important than short-term gains and it's the opposite in startups uh you also a lot of the other stuff do translate i will say that um the communication you pointed that out it absolutely translates and in in fact in in a startup it is like 50 percent of what you're doing uh it's you're just communicating to the team the stakeholders the user what you and your company is all about that distilling that narrative is all that you're doing yeah 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 exactly you also mentioned another interesting thing that 
if you're if you're going to be transitioning from perhaps another role like marketing the skills that you pick up are different could you illustrate maybe a little bit of that like yeah um, yeah i have a had a couple of people transitioning from uh like let's call it like softer uh you know mm-hmm. like not hard sciences like you know let's just say not from engineering backgrounds mm-hmm. uh and the first thing the, the main skill that they pick up is just more technical i guess they they mm-hmm. learn how to number one assess uh technical complexity of different uh different tasks that that happen so like what's easy what's hard for an engineering team to do they will usually understand pretty quickly um the, the processes of building like what is continuous integration what is continuous deployment what is running a test suite but like all those aspects that just kind of is the water that we swim in so we don't even forget this thing but somebody's coming in from the marketing background uh they will start understanding pretty quickly like oh okay if we want to ship a feature next week in a big company then we have to the code actually needs to be submitted 10 days ahead of time and then these processes happen in between so yeah um technical knowledge process and also it's the they will understand how to build relationships with engineering mm-hmm. and what matters to an engineering team what is their what are their motivations and how to get them motivated um, it's a great point. how to create autonomy yeah. within the engineering team so if you don't have the engineering background then like you're going to be spending a lot of time understanding how the engineering team thinks about the world and how to make them as effective as possible that's the key thing that somebody coming from a non-technical background will learn in product management yeah yeah that's that's a that's a great point i mean i can completely imagine that someone who hasn't worked with engineers in the past they just won't have an understanding of the complexity that goes into you know lo- creating and launching any one single feature so just getting a feel for that can be extremely helpful yeah um so you know let's say a pm listens to this and they're like hey you know this sounds great and perhaps they also want to start something later down the road and they want to hone these skills that you've identified that can be crucial. Um, do you have any suggestions or ideas for how PMs can continue to really hone and improve these skills and become better at them? Um, yeah, for sure. So like we talked about user empathy, first of all, uh, which is, again, really, really useful in doing a startup. I think it, there is a bit of a misnomer right now when people think about ideation, people think that when two people go to start something, they sit in a room and a whiteboard and have mm-hmm. an idea about what they want to build. Mm-hmm. Whereas in reality, um, it's not that a great idea comes at you after being in front of a whiteboard for an entire day. What usually more looks like is you just go around talking to a bunch of people about their problems and try to really understand. And that's, you know, the other 50% of, of your job is talk to users and figure out what the um, what they want to build, what are their problems. Um, and a really great way to hone in the skill during your work as a PM in a big company is you probably have a UX researcher if you're in a big company. Mm-hmm. They're excellent and fun people, and they will organize these like day long, or maybe sometimes like, you know yeah. multiple days long, the yeah. words of sessions 
Uh, some of them actually are behind one-way mirrors. Uh, there, so these studies are really fun. You should be really interested in how they conduct it. You should attend those. Um, you know, like at least I would say when I had um, my team, I would ask for every person at least once a quarter attend some some sort of user study. Just talk to users. Um, too often PMs do skip user studies because they're too busy with the ongoing onslaught of things, which is a shame if you ask me. Um, there's also a great book about this called uh, The Mom Test by um, Rob Fitzpatrick. It's oh, fantastic. What's that? Yeah, can you, what it, I have not heard of this book. What's The Mom Test? The, so the Mom Test, he talks about uh, um, how ties is to go to your mom and say, hey, I have this app. <laughs> uh, what do you think? Do you think it's cool? And then she'll say, yeah, of course it's cool because she doesn't want to hurt your feelings. Uh, so the whole process of user in, the user research is actually approach it and ask the questions in a way that is not leading the responses. You want to talk more about the customers and their problems, their, with their, their situation in life, as opposed to your product. You may choose to get towards the end of a study about your product, and even then, you want to observe it minimally, and if you can, minimize your involvement in it to, to as much as possible get signal from the users. Because users, um, people that you talk to, are generally going to try to be nice to you and not necessarily give their most honest feedback. Yeah, that's a, that's. A, I mean, that's one of the core things that you learn in research, right? That. You can't ask people, "This is this what you want?" or "Tell us what you want." You have to like suss out what their problem is and then figure out the yes. solution. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great great idea. Just like collaborating much more with your user researcher and uh, trying to attend as many of those research sessions as possible. Any, you know, a, any any ideas for the communication and the influence piece, which are much more soft and harder skills, I guess. They're they're, they're a little harder and it's kind of like uh, not one thing you can do, but many small things you can do. Um, For communication, this is really, um, you know, you're going to have, you're going to cultivate and hone those skills no matter what you do. Um, But one thing I always stress for for people to think about, especially coming from an engineering background is brevity. Uh, Mm. A lot of your job is actually take a really complex reality and communicate it in a way that is simplest for readers um so for example if you're writing a prd like a spec can you make sure that it makes a really great one minute read a really great 10 minute read and a really great one hour read because if if you can then both your vp your peer pm and your engineers are all going to be able to benefit from it um can you tell to prospective members why they should join your team you're going to have to do it or or these are things you're going to have to do as a founder these are skills you have to pick up as a PM as well. And one trick that I always work or that worked for me well is, um, as an engineer, you have this mindset of, oh, if the reader didn't get this, then it's their fault. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> as a PM, the burden shifts to the communicator. Right. Like, oh, it, you know, whenever you think that you just don't get it, you mentally replace it with, I didn't explain it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is such a great, this is such a great point. Like I've often noticed this in decks where, you know, 
it's like you can explain the same thing in like many different sentences or you can really try to crystallize it in as few words as possible and it's a super helpful exercise to go through your deck before presenting and you know i i remember one pm was told me like you know cut out 50% of your words like that's your goal you have to cut out 50% of your words and i'm always surprised at how i am able to do it and still convey exactly the same thing in much fewer words and it's just so much easier for someone else to digest it then yeah there's a great and it takes time it takes yeah. time to both to do it on one go and to build that skill uh there's a really great quote uh it's misattributed to Mark Twain but it's actually Blaise Pascal uh it's i didn't have time to write you a short letter so i wrote you a long letter <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know cuz it's much harder to convey the same thing in fewer words. Yeah. So, yeah, communication that's a great tip. Um what about influence? That's like the I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, influence without authority. Um I mean, just generally good good great practice for a founder as well, but just really get a lot of feedback, especially from your UX and engineering partners. Um like one thing I like to ask like, "Hey, how can you be the best partner?" to them in order for them to get to do their best work. Mm-hmm. I would there's checking them periodically um one way that I started trying to do this is I asked you know, I used to ask like hey what's how am I doing from 1 to 10 and inevitably they're not they're rarely anybody's going to say 10 because if you ask people for feedback they're just going to be like oh everything's fine but if you ask them how are you from 1 to 10 Yeah. Um, and they're going to say, well, you're an eight. I'm like, well, what, take, what gets me to a 10? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's a good way to like elicit feedback. And that is a thing that is going to um, help you with uh, just getting a 360 view of you, which is a skill that's going to be helpful as a founder as well. Interesting. And yeah. the influence without authority, I would say that it has a, um, it does have like the flip side of it, which is, if you over rely on that skill then you're going to end up delegating some stuff that you need to delegate so mm-hmm. uh, as a founder that of of the three this is the one that kind of changes a little bit the definition of it changes a little bit when you become a founder can you share an example yeah yeah i uh, uh like you know when i started uh gave my engineering team something and they did it in a way that was that didn't seem right to me with my engineering background uh but i was kind of hesitant to to get in their face if you will yeah, yeah. i was like well you know they're it's their role their swim lane i'll let them do this mistake mm-hmm. uh which is a, you know generally you can softly point thing, these things out as you're uh, if you're in a big company but it generally letting some people make some mistakes is the correct thing yeah. uh but the you know in a in a startup environment especially in a small startup environment there is no such thing mm. like you know you have if something is not getting done in a way it should get done you don't have the luxury of making those mistakes for later learnings um and as your team grows and your time horizon grows you may be able you may be able to delegate some and then this influence with without authority is going to come helpful but I, i'm not at that stage yet yeah. i'm at the stage where it's a very yeah. small operation so um it makes more sense to be uh you know 
roll up the sleeves and be be in depth makes and sense. engage with people. Makes sense. So sort of like a fine balance between when do you play that role of influence and when perhaps do you have to be a little bit more indirect control yep. of things. Yeah. Yep. And it really depends on the people who you have around you, right? Like if you're a founder and you found, you know, you have a, a great engineering counterpart, like a, a great uh, CTO, if you will, then you might be able to delegate all of that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because like they might be handling everything. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't have that or you don't have that trust built yet, uh, then you're ultimately accountable for it. But even with the CTO, like you might be like, no, I really need to understand this hmm. uh, if something is not adding up for you. So, um, but then again, if you're a thousand person company, um, you know, notwithstanding some exceptions like Elon Musk, <laughs> uh, most people have probably to maintain their sanity do have to delegate and at some point start exerting much more influence without authority. So that's a skill that's going to come useful later on but at the beginning of your journey as a founder if you're not very intentional and attentive about how you use it it could be a liability that mm-hmm. that hands off approach mm-hmm. i see i see so this is actually a great seg into then do you do you think there are certain skills that you are now seeing are critical to being a successful founder but you just don't pick them up as a product manager um it's an extension of communication, but it's slightly, slightly different. Uh, I would say being a great salesperson, mm. especially if you're if you're a non-technical co-founder, is really important. Um, and you know, especially in bigger companies, you know, like where everybody is smart, then there is the bullshit radar is really strong, so you can't bullshit anybody. <laughs> yeah, so it's much more important to be very accurate and honest and just kind of build your reputation on an ongoing basis. Um, but one thing I realized, it's like a very basic fact of the world where when you start, uh, when you're a founder, mo- at, at le- uh, you know, at least initially in the first one, two years of the company, most people that you're meeting with, if you look at how your calendar looks like, when I look at my calendar at Google, every, every person that I'm meeting with on a given day, I probably met them like on average 10, 15 times before, mm. 10, 15, 20 times mm. before. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I look at my calendar as a founder or in the founder at the beginning of the road, uh, then most people, you know, at Google might be just like your designer peer, your engineering peer, your, uh, a, um, you know, a PM from a sibling team, your manager, et cetera. These are people who you have very, very long relationships with. Whereas as a founder, a lot of the people that you're meeting for the first or second or yeah. third time, yeah. like these could be candidates, these could be VCs, these could be customers. You're meeting somebody. So you're on very, like a lot more first dates or second dates or early dates. Uh, so you have to be, speak differently think about things differently yeah. think about how you're displaying what you are and what the company is differently than you would and um that's such a great a yeah setting. yeah yeah that's such a great point and I, I don't think i've ever thought of that before but now that you say it it's it's so you know it's resonates a lot i mean i've not started a company but i can imagine that as a founder you're much more kind of in a not in a sales mode but you're just the the type of interactions is very different where 
you you just don't have that level of comfort yet with that person and so how you talk how you speak is going to be different compared to someone that you've been working with for the last whatever x number of months or even even years and so there's that level of trust that's already there which makes the communication easier yeah and you show up differently like to your first date than to yeah. your 15th date right like yeah. and especially you know if you're at google or in Airbnb and you're meeting a person for the first time yeah it is like because you are coming from a certain role it is given that they're not evaluate like i mean of course they're evaluating you but it is a given that you're going to keep meeting so you don't have it's not a one shot to make a great impression on yeah. people because you're going to have those multiple interactions you can count on it by virtue of how you're situated whereas the way it works in a startup is if that first date doesn't go well then there is no second date right like if it's an investor if it's a if it's a candidate or if it's a customer mm-hmm. so it really is kind of what sales I have a new grown appreciation for the craft of sales uh, <laughs> it's, it's there is there's something that is exhilarating about it but this is very very stressful about it yeah. uh, but it is it is pretty cool yeah yeah that that that's a great example anything else that comes to mind like things that are that you're seeing you're, you're having to learn anew one very tactical skill that everybody can employ is uh, up your linkedin game when you're mm-hmm. still in the company like you don't think like you were like, you know at google or at Dropbox, there's all these internal directories and to the extent you're looking up somebody you're just looking there and when you leave you're like oh well of course i'll remember everybody from here because that was my life for the last like two years three years or whatever uh, but actually you're gonna forget yeah. so just everybody you're working with either towards the end of your tenure or in the middle of your tenure just add them on linkedin just so you have them that way <laughs> so make those connections and really look to build those connections because those are going to come useful uh, later on. It's something that is worthwhile picking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's actually great advice. I was going to ask you next that if you are talking to a product manager who is right now contemplating leaving and starting their own company, is there any advice you'd like to share with them? Yeah, so like up your LinkedIn game for sure. Uh, uh, and just, just because again, this is going to become your bread and butter. I think it's a kind of a corollary of what I said, like, Hey, how many first dates are going on? Uh, but, uh, like the amount of time I spend on LinkedIn now on a given day is like 50 X than what it was when I was at Google. Like when you're, when you're at Google or you know, in a big company, you're, LinkedIn is a thing that you look at every couple of weeks, maybe, mm. and see, okay, well, which recruiters reached out to me? Let me politely respond that I'm not interested, or maybe say that I am interested, or, you know, look it up that way. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, when you're in a startup, in a startup community, it's your bread and butter. Um, yeah. So, so up, up your LinkedIn game. The other thing, and that's probably the biggest. A tip I would give to any PMs contemplating something is uh, find your engineering counterparts. Don't quit before finding your engineering counterpart. Mm. Uh, the world is full of idea guys or idea people who are looking for builders. Uh, so uh, really make sure you have somebody great you're looking to go along this journey with. I personally would say that is even more important than the idea have somebody like pair up with somebody like, Hey, we're going to have a startup mm. and we're going to, and, and 
sometimes there's this night like, well, what the, what is the idea and when? And you know, like, hey, let's spend an hour a week uh, in the evening to think like, what could we build together and when could we build it together? Uh, and that's, a, I think, a much healthier approach than, um, than you know, uh, the, Just leaving hey, it. I'm going to find a great idea. I'm going to quit. I'm going to start my own startup. Um, and I'll, I'll, find a, I'll find a co-founder yeah. later on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. which is what I, <laughs> so, uh, I would not recommend that path. Um, it, it did work. It ended up working fantastically. Uh, I ended up being very, very lucky. Uh, but, uh, don't count on that luck. Oh, so make you sure, make, sure make sure you're lined up with somebody from, uh, uh, before you're even quitting. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great advice, but it sounds like you quit without having that engineering co-founder in place when you left. Yes, yes. I had I had a few people who I thought, oh, that that like one of them will work out. Um, we had like, you know, uh, it ended up not working out. Just kind of had different viewpoints on, on things. Um, and then I was expecting it to be easier than it was, uh, just based on the interest that I saw. And then spent like probably three, four months. Uh, until I found my co-founder. So that was a long three, four months, yeah. Uh, yeah. which, you know, in parallel to trying to build something because you don't want to be stagnating. Right. So it's, it's quite difficult to build something while you're looking for the co-founder at the same time. Uh, the other approach I could have gone with is the solo uh, founder sure. approach, obviously, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which has its own set of difficulties and that can be, a whole topic of like solo entrepreneurs versus uh, versus co-founders. Um, there's a lot of reasons to go with a co-founder. Um, that could be a whole topic. Yeah. Of its own. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. No, but this is this is super helpful, Israel. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate all the candid advice. Um, I will definitely link to the email that you shared so that if anyone is interested in joining your startup or has questions, they can reach out to you. Any Anything else you'd like to share before we end the discussion? No, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And all the best with your startup. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you aren't already a subscriber of the podcast, please do subscribe. We'll be publishing a lot of other episodes that cover various jobs as well as bring you career advice from seasoned professionals from around the world. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. Just go to our website at learneducatediscover.com. In the newsletter, we share updates on new episodes as well as bring you lots of interesting career resources that we think might help you. You can also email us. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com. If you have any ideas at all on how we can improve the podcast, how we can improve the content, what are some other things that we can add to the website or the newsletter, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com. You can also tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's at LED underscore curator. All right, I'll see you in the next episode. Until then, Bye-bye.